And now, Father, we open our hearts to you because we want to receive from you. We thank you that the word of God is alive and quick. I pray that we'll not just be hearers, but somehow you'll strengthen us to be doers of the word, that you'll keep us from falling and present us faultless before your presence. We know the word of God is true. There's a judgment day coming. None of us can escape it. I pray that the fear of God will be in our hearts in such a way that it'll transform our lifestyle and our living. And we're the first to acknowledge, Lord, we fail, we fall, we come short, we miss the mark over and over and over again. And your mercies are so wonderful. We just thank you for them. But we pray that you'll bring us to a place of greater victory than we've ever known before as we face this fact, the reality that there's a judgment day coming. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter again, please. Hebrews chapter 9. We're talking about preparing for your final court date, the judgment. Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. It says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That last part there, and unto them that look for him, that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We talked about divine appointments. We said, first of all, that Calvary, Christ dying on the cross was a divine appointment. Jesus knew that that's why he came into the world. It was something he could not avoid. He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Secondly, we said that the rapture of the church is the next divine appointment for the church. It's coming. I believe it's coming soon. I'm, I personally have the conviction that what's going to happen is we're going to hear good news from Israel and then we're going to hear the trumpet sound in the same minute. <laughs> we'll look back and say, you've got to be kidding me. But uh, uh, it's, it's going to be an, an interesting thing that's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Uh, and he said, in the day that you think not, the Son of Man is going to come. And uh, I don't know about you, he said, everybody that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. When you and I really believe that Christ could come at any time, it does purify our life. It's when the servant says, my Lord delayeth his coming and begins to live riotously that we get into trouble. But he said it's a purifying effect. But it is a divine appointment that's going to happen. Just as the first coming happened, so shall the second coming also happen. And then thirdly, it says here in Hebrews that the third appointment is death. I said there are only two men in the Old Testament that avoided it. And that was Elijah and who? Enoch. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. He didn't die as such. And the fourth appointment is the appointment of judgment, divine judgment. And we talked about the principles of judgment, and I want to see if you've gotten your notes properly. What's the first principle of judgment? It's going to be according to what? According to truth. Secondly, it's going to be according to works. We said as far as truth is concerned, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. We cannot lie to God. God will not lie to us, and it's going to be according to truth. And when we stand before God in that judgment day, there will be no shading, there will be no attorneys uh, making excuses for us at all. Secondly, it's according to works. It said that they're going to be judged according to their deeds. The book will be open, and they'll be judged according to the deeds. Thirdly, it's without what? Without respect to person. It doesn't make a difference how big or how small or how rich or how poor, or how educated or how ignorant or unlearned you may be. All will stand in that day and be judged out of the books. Fourthly, it's what? Determined by our response to the gospel. 
It's not the hearers of the word that are blessed, but it's the doers of the word. And that's something that needs to be emphasized so much today when we're witnessing to others. There are a lot of people who know a lot about the truth, but that's not what is the blessing. The blessing comes when we become doers of the truth. It's the doers that are blessed, the word of God says. And then what's the fifth thing about it? It will be public. It says that our secret sins will be exposed in that day. Now, some people say, everything I've ever done, no, nothing that's been put under the blood will be exposed in that day. I want to make that very clear to you. You see, God can't bring that up because it's removed as far as the east is from the west and cast into the sea of his forgetfulness, never to be remembered against us again. And that's why it's so important for us to see to it that we acknowledge our sins if we confess or come into agreement with God that it's sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We won't stand for judgment because of that. Let me tell you something. We've all missed it so much. There's still going to be a lot of it there if we aren't very careful. There's still going to be a lot there that we're going to be answering for. And for the believer, that does not mean that we're going to go, it's going to determine heaven or hell. For the believer, it means it's going to determine our reward. We have to make that very clear. The judgment seat of Christ and what takes place there will only be determining what our reward shall be. Some of the works that we've done will be burned as wood, hay, and stubble. And I want to ask you to think about this. What are you doing each day that will not burn when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ? Are you doing works today that will stand the test of the fire and come out like like precious metal, gold and silver and so forth. Very important for us to understand that there's going to be a judgment there, but it will be public. All the secret sins, all those skeletons in the closet that people have tried to hide and have not been honest about and not been open, confessing it to God and repenting of it, they will be judged at that time for it. Now, the next thing we talk, want to talk about now is the procedure of judgment. Turn to Revelation again, the 20th chapter. We want to read the verses again. The procedure of the judgment. Revelation chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos said, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now that's going to be an interesting thing, when the earth and the heaven flee away from God's presence. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, now, it's interesting that John notices here that there are those who are small and great even when they stand before God. They were great on earth. They're still called great in eternity. Isn't that interesting? But now the only thing that means there will be some that will stand there with more responsibility to be judged by, judged for. If they were great and did things that were improper, did things that were cruel, things that were wrong, they'll be having the greater judgment. You know, I told you that when a king in the Old Testament would sin, he had to bring a a, a calf, a lamb for a sacrifice. If the priest sinned, he had to bring a bullock. Why? Because he was more responsible. He knew better to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him it is sin. In that day, even though they may be great and small to stand before God, the only thing it means is that their judgment will be greater because they had greater opportunity and didn't take it. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I remember I said again, and I want to keep repeating this for you so you'll get it. There's no one in the lake of fire tonight. In the place of judgment right now, Hades, the place of judgment right now, which according to the scripture, the, the description is that it's in the center of the earth somewhere. 
Uh, that's where the unsaved go after they die now, to a place of torment there. there. Since the resurrection of Christ, the believer goes to be with the Lord. His spirit goes to be with the Lord until the resurrection from the dead and Christ's second coming. But uh, uh, the first occupants of the lake of fire will be the beast and the false prophet, which is talked about earlier in this chapter. Then a thousand years later, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And then at the great white throne judgment, these will, all the rest of these that are unsaved will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. Uh, the uh, procedure that we're talking about here, there's three principal parts uh, in any courtroom procedure that we have to understand. The first one is the evidence against the accused. And it talks here about the evidence. We'll talk about that a little bit more. The second thing is the opportunity for self-defense. For the, uh, for the accused to give, bring up self-defense. In other words, this is what you say about me, but here's why it's not true. Thirdly, it's the verdict or sentence of the court. So you have, first of all, the evidence against the accused, then you have opportunity for self-defense, and then the verdict or sentence of the court is given. Uh, I, some years ago when I was in Minnesota, I was a witness for the state in a fraud case, uh, a man who had uh, uh, issued some bonds and sold them and pocketed the money and bought a bunch of uh, equipment and moved it over to Wisconsin, hid it on a farm, and the state charged him with it and brought the evidence against him. And I had, they had me on the, pla on this, on the uh, seat in the courtroom as a witness for uh, probably about four hours one time. And finally his attorney went over to uh, another attorney and said, get that preacher off the platform or this guy will never get out of prison. And I had known all the things that were going on and they, every time they'd ask me a question it made it all the worse for them because they didn't know all the things that I knew. And I brought the evidence in after... After I was through, they tried. To, they sent their attorneys on me and tried to mess me up and tried to twist me around and tried to get me to say something that would uh, make my testimony null and void. And they used any kind of method they possibly could. And they would say, well, you said. I said, no, that isn't what I said. This is what I said. Oh, well, what do you think of this? And I said, doesn't make a difference what I think. I, I know you're not interested in hearsay or speculation. Oh, and so on and on. They just worked on me and worked on me and worked on me. And that was the part where they were trying to, the second step there for self-defense, doing any method they could possibly do to uh, defeat me. Now, the order of divine judgment is going to be a little bit different. First of all is the evidence. Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew, chapter 12. As far as evidence is concerned, this is what Jesus said. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now that word idle, some people really get scared over that. It means inoperative word. It means every empty word, every non-working word. In other words, words that are not of faith. Words that are full of fear, doubt, unbelief. He said, we're going to answer for them in that day. They shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Look back in Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, the 11th, the 11th chapter, and the 9th verse. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the day of thy youth, 
and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Don't make any mistake about that, young man. No matter who you are or what you're doing, God will bring you into judgment. He says, don't, don't, don't miss on that. Don't miss fire on that truth. Then over in the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes, in the last verse, the final verse of the book, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, that should bring terror into the hearts of many believers today. Realize that you may, no one else may know what you're doing or what you're thinking, but God knows, and it's recorded. And unless we repent of it and turn away from it in that day, we will answer to God. It will be publicized, as it were, thrown across the screen for everyone to see what was really in our heart. And I believe in that day there's going to be many people who had great names and great ministries here on earth that are going to be totally embarrassed in that day, and other totally unknown men who've been faithful to God, even in the hardest of times, that God's going to honor. What does he say? The first will be last, and the last will be first. Because what is great with men doesn't impress God at all. And what is great with God many times doesn't impress man at all. That's why the scripture says, don't despise small beginnings. God only took one man by the name of Abraham and built a mighty nation out of it. He doesn't need a crowd to do a job. Amen. Brother Webb, that's good teaching. Thank you. Thank you for that word. Amen. <laughs> the scripture says the evidence is used and it's written down in the book. Now, some people thought that Watergate was bad. Let me tell you something. If you think that taping was bad, it's nothing compared to what God said. Every idle word, every idle deed, every idle thought is going to be written down and recorded in that day. And by the way, there'll be no mistakes. There'll be no errors. There'll be nothing for an attorney to pick apart. There'll be nothing forgotten and nothing altered in any way. When that evidence is brought forth, there'll be no one that will be able to question the evidence as it's brought forth because it's God himself is going to bring it. And the conclusive is going to be, conclusion is going to be destructive. People who thought they've gotten away with it for years. And let me tell you, I've had people who have gotten away, I've known of, they've gotten away with sin for years and years and years and years. Right now, there's some that I know they're living in continuous sin right now. And saying, praise God, hallelujah, they're even officers of churches. And I keep telling people, don't let that bother you. We don't set the judgment date. God's mill grinds slowly, but God's mill grinds fine. And when the time comes, God will have the last word. Yes, but why can't he do it in this time? Why can't he do it in my life? Why can't he do it when I can see? That's not important. The important thing is that we know that no one, let me mark this down for you again, no one gets away with anything ever. God's still on the throne. No one bypasses God. How foolish to think we can get around God. There's no darkness with him. We can't hide from him. There's no place but what he's there. And all these things are written down. And in God's time, the judgment will come. And the ju judgment will be absolute. And it will be according to truth. What's man's defense? Now that's the evidence that's going to be brought out by God. What's man's defense? You talk to men today and say, why don't you go to church? Well, you know, and they give you all these excuses why they don't go to church. They don't like the preacher. He's too young. He's too old. He's too fat. He's too skinny. He talks too fast or too slow. You know, it's just something always wrong. And there's hypocrites in the church or that deacon or deaconess or that Sunday school. You know, I had a, a Sunday school teacher one time that said, you know, all this garbage. You ask him, why, why don't you get saved? 
Well, I will one of these days, but you know, I want to sow my wild oats right now. I want to have fun right now. You know, somebody told them that being a Christian wasn't fun. I'll tell you something. They may be having fun, but they don't have joy and they don't have peace. And if I have to make my choice between the two, I'll take joy and peace anytime. And that's what you have to go back to them and say, you may not, you think, may think I'm not having fun, but boy, I've got joy and I've got peace. How about you? But when you ask them these questions, they give you all the arguments and excuses and alibis there are. And in that day, none of them will work. All they'll know is the word of God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. No rebuttal whatsoever. They can blame their father or their mother or their uncle or their cousin or someone else as to why they don't church. It won't stand in God's day. Then the verdict will come. The verdict is there found in Revelation, again, the 20th chapter, the last two verses. And let me tell you something. When that verdict is declared, there's no appeals. I get so frustrated when I realize how our law, uh, our law enforcement officials work so hard and are so careful to try to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and get everything just exactly right and treat the criminals just as gently as they possibly can. And they'll go into the court and some attorney will pull some little trick and get them free from it, and they'll go free and thumb their nose at the police department and go right back out and start in all over again. And I want to tell you something, that won't happen because it said, and the sea gave up the dead richer, excuse me, and every, the last part of that verse, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He says they're guilty. And then when he says they're guilty, you can mark it down, there will be no appeal. It'll be the final unresting place of the unsaved. We talk about the final resting place, but that's the final unresting place. There'll be no rest there throughout all eternity, the Word of God says. And I've been in ministry long enough to have heard a lot of people say, well, I, I want you to know I'm very religious, and, and I do this, and I do that, and I try to be fair, and I try to be honest. I keep saying to them, whosoever's name is not written, found written in the Lamb's book of life shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Whosoever's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, I'm doing the very best I can. No, that's not enough. Your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life. How's that? Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I go to church. You hear it all every day. You hear people say it to you all the time. But is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do I know that? The only way you can know that is to know that you've been redeemed from your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. And uh, That's why I preach about judgment. I know it would be wonderful to preach about heaven all the time and about God's love and God's goodness, but we have to bring balance to that too because, you know, when God would say to the children of Israel, if you do this, I'll bless you, they never did it. And he said, if you don't do this, this curse will come on you. And even then, when they had that threat against them, they still resisted against God. But we have to let men know not only that Christ died, but after death comes a judgment. So they'll know it doesn't make a difference what they do now. Excuse me. The only, this is the only time it does make a difference what they do. If they'll do the right thing now, they won't stand in judgment that day. Christ will take their judgment for them. Uh, Hardest thing that's for the preacher is for someone in my position is to preach this 
and to watch some people who are out there sinning and lying and cheating and hurting people and escaping, seemingly prospering and going right on like nothing's ever happened. I mean, they're blessed financially, they're blessed health-wise. And you look at them, you say, dear God, where, I mean, <laughs> here the Christians are trying to make it and they're stumbling and falling and having all kinds of physical problems and financial problems. I, I had a lady call me today from Colorado that I knew when I was in the first ministry out in Colorado because she had heard that I was engaged and going to get married and she was just so thrilled about that. And when I said, how are you doing? She began to sob and tell me all the problems that she's gone through. She's 68 years of age now and her husband left her some years ago and about a year ago got remarried and he's retired and just living it up right now and she is barely able to make it and her daughter and son-in-law with her two children uh, lost the home they were in and had to move in with her and she just got the notice from her landlord they can't stay there so they're going to be cast out in the streets and she has no money whatsoever to pay their bills and everything and my heart just ached for her and I thought here this guy ran off and married another woman and he's just having a ball and the very thing that I'm talking about here they get away with it how are they going to get you have to just realize one day one day the trumpet will sound for his coming one day the skies with his glory will shine glorious day but it's also going to be a day when all the scales will be balanced. All the accounts will be settled. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire if they don't repent. The last act of judgment is to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, the third thing I want you to notice is the person of this divine judgment. John, the fifth chapter. John, the fifth chapter. You say, Brother Webb, I believe in the merciful, gracious God. So do I. John 5, 22. Jesus is speaking here. This is red letters, so I guess this is more important. It's not red letter in my Bible. My Bible isn't sanctified. I, mine's all black. But uh, 5, 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to whom? Gospel of John, 5th chapter. Unto the Son. That's right. All judgment as to the Son. Uh, Acts the 17th chapter. Acts chapter 17. You know if he's king of kings and lord of lords, he is going to have to also be the judge. Acts 17. And verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. The Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to be the judge in that day. And for someone today to reject him, to uh, turn away from him, to scoff him, to despise him, to ridicule him as Savior, in that day will receive him and accept him as judge without any qualms whatsoever. He'll become their judge. We have to understand that Jesus Christ is going to be the, the one that will judge us. He is the one who is our go-between. He's our attorney. He's the one who speaks on our behalf because we received him as our Lord and Savior. But this unsaved person, to them he's going to be a terror when he appears again because he's going to come as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he'll say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that's the loving, kind, merciful Jesus that we're talking about today. He's the one that's going to say, depart from me, ye, the, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus Christ is loving. He is loving, but he's also righteous and just. And he said that sin will be dealt with. Now, when you think about that now, I, I don't know how that strikes you, 
if someone told me that, that some illiterate from a little town somewhere out in the, the boonies was going to be my judge, you know, you could almost chuckle. But when someone tells you the Son of God who knows everything is going to be the judge, that makes it different. Because first of all, he's evident, uh, infinite in his knowledge. I was at a court case right here in Sanford, and I just chafed inside when one of our brethren was in there being tried on a puffed-up false charge that he had struck someone. And the attorney for the other side was prepared, and our brother's attorney was not at all prepared. I mean, I could have had... I could have had both hands tied behind my back and a five-pound weight on my tongue, I think, and done a better job than the attorney had done. And I'm sorry. It was just pathetic. When they called in the different witnesses, the attorneys asked them questions in such a way they all sounded like they were telling a different story. And they'd all seen the same thing, but they brought it out in such a way, and the attorney was, had not prepared them, had not said, this is what you'll have to say, and say it this way, and so on and so forth, had not prepared them at all. And so, consequently, this man was charged and had to pay a fine. And I thought of that, I thought, you know, there's a lot of evidence that's hidden today, and a lot of it that has to be thrown out because it wasn't gotten just exactly right, or witnesses die, or witnesses are afraid. We hear in the, in the newspaper right now where people say, we, we won't witness against them because if we do, they'll kill us and they'll kill our families. So that, that, that won't happen in that day of judgment. And then we have all these statutes of limitations. I don't know what it does to you, but when I see people that you know have done wrong, and they have the law on their side and they have these big powerful attorneys that jerk things around and twist things around and intimidate and everything, it really stirs something inside of me because criminals go free and many times the people who can't afford to have good attorneys get the brunt of the thing. I want to tell you something, when Jesus is the judge, that's never going to happen again. Every judgment will be absolute. Every judgment will be right. No hidden facts, no improper evidence whatsoever Nowadays, if the police happen to record something and the other attorney finds out about it, he'll jerk that out and bring it into court and say, this, we want to declare a mistrial because this was taken improperly and on and on and on. All this foolishness that's happened by the attorneys getting our laws and twisting them around to where the criminal has all the rights and the, the, the just person or the citizen who's trying to live rightly has no rights whatsoever. That won't happen in that day because he knows our thoughts, our desires. I know of a a man that uh, was in prison two different times, and both times he was smart enough to go into the prison library and write his own writ of habeas corpus and presented it to the, to the uh, head of the prison there, the warden. And he wrote it out in such a way that they had to come out, and I don't know how they did it. I don't know what he knew that I wouldn't know. He wrote his own habeas corpus, and they let him out both times. And he came out just laughing, thinking it was the greatest thing in the world, that he learned how to write his own writ of habeas corpus and that gave him the right to get out of prison two different times. Well, now this last time it didn't work. He's in prison again. He's still there. But in God's sight, there's not going to be a statute of limitations. Somebody may have sinned and broken God's commandments way back when they were a child and they never repented of it. They'll answer for it before God someday. Because that judgment is going to be true. He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows our motives. He has infinite knowledge. Second thing is he has unlimited power. You can't escape his jurisdiction. Nowadays, if they think too many people know about something in a certain area, they'll ship a man off to another area. Or a man will run across a certain state line, they'll say, well, they don't have any right over in the other state. 
They can't do anything to me over there. Remember years ago when this uh, newspaper woman's daughter, a newspaper man's daughter, uh, got involved in a, uh, some robberies. I think her name is Patty Hurst, and how she went underground for a long, long time. And uh, the political activists that went to Cuba and Canada and all these places get out from under the jurisdiction so nobody could come after them. I want to tell you, when they come before the great white throne, there won't be a hiding place anywhere. There will be no possible escape in any direction. The judgment is sure that all will be cast into the lake of fire. If they're at the great white throne judgment, I want to tell you something right now. Their case is already set. Because if they're saved, they're going to go to heaven and be at the judgment seat of Christ. Thirdly, concerning this person, he's going to be unspotted in his justice. We're living in what's called right now a period of grace. Unspotted in justice. Jesus Christ is unspotted, unblemished in justice. We're living in what's called a period of grace right now. There was the law before. Now we're in the period of grace, period of mercy, period when the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of men, time when men are being, hearing the Word of God preached to them. And God wants them to repent during this time. And I've even had people say, well, boy, if I ever saw the church caught away, boy, I'd repent quickly. And I said, no, you won't. You've already heard the gospel. And if the church is taken away, you'll believe these stories are going around right now that are being told that, that everybody that calls themselves a Christian are really aliens from another planet. And they find that the ship, spaceship is just going to come and take them off this planet. The devil is preparing the unsaved already for what's going to happen when that time comes. And God said, if you don't receive the gospel during this period and that day, he'll make you to believe a lie. And you'll never be saved after the church is taken away. And after death, it's too late. It says very clearly, after the death comes the judgment by the judge. True and sure justice that cannot be avoided, cannot be escaped in any way. I've actually had people say, well, all I want is what's coming to me. Man, that, I shudder when I hear them say that. I just, get, I, I just want what I deserve. I thank God that I'm not going to get what I deserve. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I don't want justice, I want mercy in my life. And if you think that you've lived a good enough life that all you need is justice, uh, you don't understand God's word at all. <laughs> Remember a lady one time in a photographer's office, she said to the, the uh, says, these pictures don't do me justice. These pictures just don't do me justice. And the photographer stood there for a while scratching his head and he, <laughs> he said, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> I don't think she came back there again, but uh, I thought that was interesting the way he said, you don't need justice, you need mercy. That's what I feel when I get my picture taken. Not justice, but mercy. The trouble is we don't want to see ourselves as we really are, and that's why men turn away from God. And this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds be made manifest. Don't tell me about my sin. When they're outside of Christ, they don't want the light. That's why they're resisting. And that's why you become death to them. You are life and they're death. And they sense your life and that tells them that they're dead. And they don't like that. They like to run away from that. If they're outside of Jesus Christ, there will be none that can stand the absolute justice and holiness and righteousness of God unless the blood is applied. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And if they haven't been plunged beneath that flood, 
they will in that day stand before the righteous judge. The Bible speaks of several different judgments. It's the judgment of the angels, the judgment of the nations, the judgment of Israel is coming, and then the final judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. And the most important one is the judgment for our sins at Calvary. Christ was already judged for our sins. Christ already paid the price for our sins. And your sins and mine are either judged at Calvary through Jesus Christ or they will be judged at the final judgment and those that are at that final judgment will be cast into the lake of fire and you and I must decide where we'll have our sins judged. Will you take your own punishment or will you let Christ take the punishment for you? That's the decision we have to make. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That judgment day is coming just as sure as night follows day. The judgment seat of Christ is coming just as sure as night follows day. It's an appointment of God. It's a divine appointment we can't escape from. And the question is, are we prepared? Are we keeping short books with God? Now, I, I know there's not a person here but what you'll admit. Pastor, I miss it. I miss it. I fall short. Word, thought, and deed, I fall short. But we go, we flee to the cross. We claim cleansing through the blood. The devil would try to get you to take your arm off and beat yourself over the head with it over and over and over again. You just have to come back and say, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name. I don't want that in my life. I want victory in that area of my life. Give me victory. I'm claiming victory in that area of my life. And continue to believe that God's going to deliver you. I've found in most cases when we, we really want to obey God that two or three years down the line from where we are now that our, high, our lows are higher than our highs used to be. We're continuing to get from, go from glory to glory as we get closer to the Lord. And I've seen this happen maturing in the lives of most everyone in this body. And that's what's exciting to see people grow. They don't usually grow like this. They grow like this, just a little something once in a while like this. And then up. But that's because they have to learn to go back to the cross and get forgiveness there. And when you talk to people, make them realize, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If it isn't, you don't have a prayer. Oh, you may get away with it here. You might be a millionaire here. You might be the most successful person on earth here. But after death comes the judgment. What will you do then? And I close again with the illustration I gave some years ago about Jody when she asked me to come down to the Florida hospital to witness to a man. A man who was on a couple of bank boards, owned a large car automobile dealership, had large investments, had, had it made. He was in his early 70s and had had a massive heart attack. And Jody went in and said to him, started talking to him, and he said, well, he said, I've had a pretty good life. And Jody said, is that right? Tell me about it. So he told her about how he had been on this board, and he's now this and this and this and all these things. She said, that's wonderful. What are you going to do now? He said, well, I'm going to get out of this hospital, first of all, I hope. And she says, well, then what? He said, well, once I get my strength back, he said, I, I hope to uh, uh, retire in a few years. She said, that's wonderful. He says, then what? He said, well, then my wife and I, we hope we can travel and see the world. And she said, that's wonderful. Then what? He said, then I, was, then I guess then I'll die. She said, well, okay, then what? He said, what do you mean? She said, I can't believe this. You've spent 70-some years preparing to come up to the place where you're going to die, and you haven't done a thing to prepare for after death. He said, how can you do that? She said, well, I've got someone who can tell you. And she called me, and I went up and talked to him and began to present to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there on his hospital bed, this man said, my God, I have missed the whole purpose of life. He says, I'm rich, I've got holdings, I've got everything, but I've missed it all. And there he invited Jesus Christ into his heart. 
His wife came in that night later, and he said, I want you to know something, honey. I just learned what life is all about. Within 36 hours, he was dead. Just that quickly. But he settled it all before he went. He, he missed great white throne judgment by just a few moments and ended up in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's all the difference it makes. We have to constantly be keeping our hearts right before God. Jesus could come at any moment. I believe he's coming very soon. In the meantime, we need to be witnessing and letting people know if your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're not going to make it. I want to ask you, do you know, beyond all shadow of a doubt, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That if Jesus were to come now, that you'd go to be with him. You say, well, how can I know? You can know. Just like you were born physically, you can be born spiritually, born into the family of God through faith and repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But know, know this for certain, the judgment day is coming. It will come. It cannot be avoided. When God's time clock says now, and by the way, when I say it will come, some of you may be young and you say, well, I've got many years left. Don't ever say that. I've had too many funerals for young people, children, babies, we have no promise of tomorrow. Sufficient unto this day is the evil thereof. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. This woman just called me and her son, this friend's son, that quickly had a horrible automobile accident. He thought he had the world by the tail going downhill. Lived for about 36 hours and he was gone. The judgment day is coming. God, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Should all come to repentance, turning away from our sins, turning and trusting Christ as our personal Savior. Father, this is an important truth for us, and I pray that we'll not only get it in our hearts for our own personal application, but that we'll use this truth when we're witnessing to others. Is your name written there in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you're to die, do you know where you'd spend eternity? The Word of God says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life dwelling within you. Father, I just pray that you'll speak to hearts tonight that the Spirit of God will convict right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, may I just ask tonight, is there anyone here, I don't know, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, I've never invited Jesus Christ into my heart. If I were to die tonight, I would be in that crowd around the great white throne with my name and all my works written in the book. And Jesus Christ would be my judge. Pray for me, I want to be a Christian. Anyone here tonight say, I'm not a Christian, but I'd like to be? Anyone here tonight say, Pastor, I want to keep short books with God. I, I need to repent. There's areas in my life I realize that I've been a little bit lax on, a little bit indifferent about. And the Spirit of God speaking to me about that tonight. And I realize that I need to put my, my priorities in, right, in order. And I want you to pray for me tonight. I, I really want to be obedient to God in all these areas. Invite the upraised hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. Anyone? There's areas that God's dealing with in my life and I know this judgment's coming and I don't want to be out of order with him. Anyone? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that only the Holy Spirit can take these truths and apply them to our hearts and make them become life-changing truths. I pray that you will do that in our lives and we'll be totally committed to you in everything we do, word or deed, It'll bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
I wonder, do we dare in a cappella sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul? How many of you know that? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free.